read the scriptures, let me give you a couple of just quick praise reports in case you might not know. But you know, God, I read a verse that really exploded in my spirit yesterday. Matter of fact, I was up here and I was praying alone. I had all the lights off and I was just pacing the sanctuary, praying over today, praying over our church. And, and the spirit of God brought a verse to my mind where Paul in Second Timothy, he's writing to his son in the faith and he says, Timothy, though I am in chains, the word of God is not chained. Because I was thinking, you know, we kind of been in chains, COVID chains. We haven't been able to meet and all of that. Uh, I, I want you to pray about rebuking fear off your life. Because, listen, uh, God's in control of this thing. And I believe that we need to walk in peace and not in fear. And uh, that's a little aside. But anyway, I was pacing. I was saying, Lord, it's been a long time. And Lord, please regather us and help us to remain strong. And the Spirit of God spoke that into my spirit, reminded me of that verse where Paul said, I'm chained up. I'm in chains. I got Roman guards on either side of me. I'm in prison for preaching the gospel. I'm a chained man, but the word that I preach is not chained. You cannot stop God. You cannot stop God. You can't, you can no more chain the Holy Spirit than you can chain the wind. You can't stop God. And so I, I, I went home and last night I looked it up in a bunch of different versions and it pretty much said the same thing, a little bit different, but, um, it, it so blessed me to know, and we need to remember that even though we have been uh, rather chained up because of all of this, the Word of God has not been chained. So I got a call a few weeks ago from Christian Satellite Network asking if I would be open to co-hosting what's called to every man an answer. To every man an answer is a national call-in program, Bible question call-in program that's very popular. I've listened to it many times going back and forth from here and, you know, just doing my daily thing. I've listened to every man and answer. It's really good. And it's in every single time zone in the Western hemisphere. If you're listening to it at two 30 in the afternoon, in Hawaii, you're listening to it at eight 30 at night in New York. And they asked me if I would be open to co-hosting it two days a week. And so I prayed for about 30 seconds and then I said, yes. And so it's on for an hour and a half and we field questions, me and uh, another, the host, the, the founder of CSN, he's in Idaho and I'm here. Isn't it amazing? I can sit in, in my kitchen, at my kitchen table with my iPad and with the right instruments and, and I can talk to the entire nation while my dog is sitting next to me. I mean, come on. The first question we got was from Hawaii. Then we got one from Nevada. Then we, and we got them from all over the United States. So let me just make this real to you. So on Mondays and Wednesdays is when, uh, I'm co-hosting. And that means that from five to six thirty, turning point is on in rush hour traffic for an hour and a half talking to the Metroplex and nationwide for an hour and a half. We're talking to the United States of America. God did that. And, and so the word of God is not chained. Amen. 
It's not shame. So if you want to listen to it, just tune into 91.3 FM at five o'clock, five o'clock, and you'll hear yours truly and um, uh, talking and answering questions to the best of my ability. And uh, so anyway, that, can we give God praise for that? Because that's a, that's a great open door. We're thankful for that. All right, let me ask us to stand for the reading of God's word. And I'm not going to read my whole text with you standing up because it's kind of lengthy. But I'll read the first verse, and then we'll pray and be seated, and I'll read the rest, all right? I'm calling today's message the way of escape. The way of escape. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, Paul says, For we must never forget, dear brothers, what happened to our people in the wilderness long ago. God guided them by sending a cloud that moved along ahead of them, and he brought them all safely through the waters of the Red Sea. You can be seated and let me read the rest and you can read it with me. It's going to be up there on the screen. Verse two, chapter 10. This journey through the sea might be called their baptism, baptized both in sea and cloud as followers of Moses, their commitment to him as their leader. Verse three, and by a miracle, God sent them food to eat and water to drink there in the desert. They drank the water that Christ gave them. He was there with them as a mighty rock of spiritual refreshment. Remember the water came out of the rock? They gathered the manna every morning. You remember that. Now, it says in verse 5, Yet after all these miracles, after all of this, most of them did not obey God. And he destroyed them in the wilderness. Everybody say, don't mess with God. Put it another way. Don't tick God off. The fear of the Lord. Amen. Now, he goes on from this lesson of them getting all these blessings and then not obeying God and then being judged by God. From this lesson, we are warned that we must not desire evil things like they did, nor worship idols as they did. The scriptures tell us, The people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to dance in worship of the golden calf and not God. Verse 8, another lesson for us is what happened when some of them sinned with other men's wives. And 23,000 fell dead in one day. Whoa. Good thing this isn't happening today, right? 23,000 fell dead in one day. Now, uh, then it goes on. And don't try the Lord's patience. They did, and they died from snake bites. Verse 10, and don't murmur against God and his dealings with you, as some of them did, for that is why God sent his angel to destroy them. Now look at verse 11. This is very important. Why are these things in the Bible? This is heavy stuff. Why is it in the Bible? All these things happen to them as what, everybody? Say it with me. I heard about five of you examples as object lessons to us to warn us against doing the same things. They were written down so that we would read about them and learn from them in these last days as the world nears its end. So be careful, verse 12, if you are thinking, oh, I'd never behave that that way. I could never do that. I could never go that direction. I could never fall like that. That could never happen to me. Don't ever say that to yourself because the message is you too 
could fall into sin. How many of you know that's true? Anybody in here think you're invincible? Say, I know that's not right. I, I'm not invincible, are you? No, I got to stay real close to Jesus. How about you? If that's you, raise your hand. If you got to stay real, real close to Jesus, amen? Now, now in verse 13, and this is the one that I'm preaching on, but I wanted to give you the context of what led into this verse. Because he says, now in light of that, that you could fall, that they fell, and these things were written so that you wouldn't fall in the same way, let me give you a word of comfort in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful. Can we say that together? God, amen. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to stand. But with the temptation will also make, say it with me, the way of escape. Notice he doesn't say a way of many ways, but the way, the way of escape so that you may be able to bear what you're under. Now, it's real important. We understand before I uh, unpack this verse that the word temptation is not just a, a word that deals with us being drawn into something sinful, but the word temptation is from a Greek word that also means test or trial or dilemma, something that is pressuring you, stressing you, taxing you, trying your faith. It's not just being tempted to do something wrong, but it's when you're in a, in a drawn out trial that is testing your faith in God, your belief in him, your trust in him. It's testing you. So the first 12 verses in first Corinthians 10, Paul hits on four sins. The children of Israel fell into look what they fell into. They lusted after evil things. Second, they committed idolatry. They bowed down to things that weren't God. Third, they committed sexual sin. Fourth, they tested the Lord's patience by endless complaining. You know, it's amazing to me that complaining is a great big deal in the Bible. Complaining is a big deal. We, we don't tend to, to lump it along with some of the, the worst sins, but there were a lot of people in the Bible that died because they couldn't quit complaining against God. Amen? Complaining. They dug, they dug their own grave with their tongue. Their tongue became a shovel that dug their own grave. Complaining. He's not taking care of me. He brought us out here to kill us, this, that, and the other, and stupid stuff. Now, Paul says, be careful that you don't fall into the very same things. And then in verse 13, the Spirit of God moves on Paul to give us an encouraging verse so that we would not fall into these things either all the way from idolatry to complaining against God, complaining about life, complaining about things. Instead of praising, we're complaining. So let's unpack it. First, Paul tells us, you're not alone in what you're going through. I want you to say with me, I'm not alone. He wants us to understand, and, and remember, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, it's breathed out by the Holy Spirit. So God himself is telling us through Paul that we are not alone in what we're going through. No temptation, including test, trial, calamity, or affliction, has overtaken or laid hold of you that is not common, not a common experience to all people. You're not alone. 
You're not alone in what you're going through. You know, I've noticed this about the devil. He likes to make us think we're alone. He likes to make us think that what we're going... Hi, Ona. I'm sorry, I lost myself just for a minute there. Haven't seen Ona in over a year. She's been on the mission field. Hallelujah. So the second tape is for radio. All right. So here, here's the deal. The devil likes to tell us that what we're going through, we're going through alone. And, and nobody can understand what, what our pain is. Nobody can really identify with us. The devil likes to isolate and paralyze us through loneliness. And one of his lies is what you're going through, nobody can understand it because it's unique to you. There is nobody going through what you do. See, the devil wrote the first country song. Nobody knows the pain I've seen. Nobody knows the pain I've seen. You know, all of the blues plus booze equals heartache stuff. Listen, the devil likes to tell you that what you're going through, you're going through it alone. And why share it with somebody? They can't understand. They can't identify with you because you are unique. You are uniquely weird. You are uniquely strange. Nobody is experiencing what you are. And so he isolates us. And Peter said the same thing. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange or unusual or unique to you were happening to you. And then he says in another place, that was 1 Peter 4, 12. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, he says, be alert, be alert and of sober mind. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, how do I stand firm in the faith? How do I resist him? Peter says, by knowing something. He says, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So this is a a huge insight. Because notice how Peter is saying one of the ways you resist the devil and one of the ways he flees from you is by you keeping in mind that what you're going through is being shared by brethren throughout the world. And you're not alone in your battle. You're not alone in your fight. You've got brethren fighting with you, fighting the same thing. And the same God that is taking them through is going to take you through. The same God that gets them to the other side is going to get you to the other side. The same God that is strengthening them is strengthening you. You are not alone. I'm not isolated, I'm not alone, I'm not weird, I'm not unusual, I'm not unique. What I'm going through is true to everybody. Paul assures us no temptation, no test, no trial that you're going through is unique or unusual. Others are going through the same thing as you, and that's a comforting thing. You know, I love talking to other pastors. I talk to other pastors a lot. And one thing I love to talk to other pastors about is their pastoring what they're experiencing in their church because we pastors go through the same things. And I love it when I find a pastor who will be real with me and tell me the truth and say, you know, I'm really going through some, some pain. I'm experiencing some trouble. I've got some people giving me a hard time. I'm being criticized. I'm this and I'm that. And when I hear the sufferings of another, another man, another pastor, it strengthens me because I know I'm not going through it alone. Are you battling a physical disease? Millions of other Christians are battling the same thing. Has a spouse walked out on you and left you alone and isolated? 
Countless other believers, believe me, are experiencing the same thing throughout the world. Have you lost a child to rebellion even after you taught them the word of God all the while they were growing up? The Bible says that you're not alone in your suffering. Many, many other believers are experiencing exactly the same thing throughout the world. Have you lost a job and you don't know how you're going to pay your next bill? You are not alone. People all over this city who love Jesus have experienced the same thing. And the message of the Bible is God's going to pull them through and he's going to pull you through. The same God that is helping them is helping you. The same God that gave them another job is going to give you another job. The same God that came through for them miraculously is going to come through for you miraculously. We are not in this alone. We are in it as a family of God. So comfort one another with that knowledge. Amen. Amen. So say with me, I'm not alone in what I'm going through. Amen. Now the second encouraging word is God has his hand on the dial of your trial. Listen to what he says. God is faithful. I love those three words. I could park right there and preach the rest of this service. Uh, Those three words. God is faithful. God is faithful. See, I put my trust in God, but not just the word God, but the God the Bible reveals to me. And what does the Bible tell me? He's the God of comfort. He's the God of hope. He's the God of strength. He's the God of healing. He's the God of provision. And he is the God of faithfulness. He is faithful. When people walk away, he walks in. When I feel completely alone, I'm never alone because God is faithful. Lo, I am with you even to the ends of the world. I will never leave you, never forsake you. How can Jesus say that? Because he is faithful. He is full of faith, faithful, faithful. He's faithful to you and to me. The Bible goes so far as to say is even when we are not faithful, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. And you as a child of God are connected to him. And if he denied you, he'd be denying himself and he's not going to deny himself. He is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Now, look how his faithfulness manifests. He will not allow you to be tempted, tried, or tested beyond what you are able to stand. So notice, Paul says, yes, Israel fell into those four different things. And you too could fall. But let me give you some comfort. Number one, you're not alone in your struggles. Number two... God is faithful. He's got his hand on the dial of your trial, on the temperature dial of your trial. He is not going to allow you or me to be tested beyond what we can stand. Now, I got to tell you, there's been times in my life, I'll be honest with you. I looked up and I said, Lord, you've just about given me more than I can take. But looking back, I can see that wasn't true because I came through it and here I am. So even though sometimes we think he's given us more than we can bear, he knows what he's doing. The the Bible says he knows the way that I take, that when he has tried me, I will come forth like gold. And so God's got his hand on the dial of your trial. I love the words of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. He he had been actually a slave holder, and he, he carried slaves across the ocean to America. And one day God woke him up and saved him and convicted him and, and brought him to Christ. And he, and he wrote probably the most famous Christian song in all of Christendom, Amazing Grace. But he wrote these words. When we have been brought very low, 
and helped. Sorely wounded and healed. Cast down, but raised again. Have given up all hope and yet been suddenly snatched from danger and placed in safety. And when these things have been repeated to us and in us a thousand times over, we begin to, we begin to learn to trust simply the word and power of God. He is faithful. Somebody else wrote, your struggles and tears will never be wasted, but will be transformed into a healing balm after your victory. You've won already. Hold on just a little while longer. Everything will be all right because we serve a God whose name is faithful. Amen. Faithful. The Bible promises that our tribulation produces patience and patience character and character hope. I can tell you looking back over my Christian walk with God since I was really 18 years old and I can tell you it over and over again, God has proven himself faithful. He always led me always guided me, always provided for me, always stepped in at 1159. He never allowed the devil to get victory over me. He led me from victory to victory and faith to faith. He always opened up that necessary door and he always faithfully closed that door I didn't need to be walking through in the first place. My God has always been faithful. He strengthened me when I didn't think I could take another step. He gave me peace in the middle of the storm. He gave me a friend when I needed one. He guided my steps, led my way, touched my heart, anointed his word in my life. Thank God for the faithfulness of God. Can we lift our hands and say, he is faithful. Come on. He is faithful. Now say right to the Lord, say, Lord, thank you. You are faithful. He's faithful over you right now. This COVID thing is going to come and it's going to go. Uh, I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen him begging bread. I've always seen the Lord take care of his own. COVID will come and go. Storms come and go. But the faithfulness of God is steady and predictable and dependable. He is faithful. He will carry us through this valley to the other side and show himself mighty on our behalf because he's faithful. Come on, everybody. Amen. Amen. So say with me, I'm not alone in what I'm going through and God is faithful. His hand is on the dial of my trial. Amen. How many of you can say, Lord, not one more degree. Amen. Now the third thing I want to just take from this verse before I close, he will provide, he said, he will provide an exit door that you may be able to bear it. What a promise. Now, now, this goes to the heart of who God is. The Bible says that God never tempts us to sin. God tests our faith, but he never tempts our flesh. Okay? God will test your faith, which purifies it. A testing of your faith is like working out with weights in the natural. You're not going to get more muscular unless you pick up something that's heavy for you. And when you pick up something heavy for you, you get more muscular. If you didn't do that, your, your muscles would atrophy and your skin would sag and you would become weak. No, when you work out, you've got to pick up something that taxes and tests and stresses your muscles 
And that's how they grow. That's what the testing of your faith is. If God gave you easy stuff all the time, your faith would never get muscular. But God's going to let you and I experience things that test our faith, that work our faith out. So that when we come out on the other side of the testing, it's more muscular. It's more effective. It's stronger. Are you with me? So God says, when you're being tempted to sin, or you're being in a trial that is taxing you to the limit, I am going to give you a way of escape so that you will be able to bear. I will not allow you to be unfairly tempted to the level that you can't help it and you, and you end up falling because there, you, you were overwhelmed. He says, with the temptation, trial, or test, God will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, the word for escape here is ekbasis. And it means not just out from, but to or toward something else. Now, watch this. This is the way God works. He says, I'm not just going to take you out of something, but I'm going to take you out to carry you in. God always delivers us from that he might deliver us to. God always takes us out so he can take us in. The Bible says he delivered us out of the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. God takes us out. He opens a way of escape, but that way of escape also leads in. Now, let me give you an example. When I was saved, I was saved out of the drug culture, as most of you know. I was a hippie, long-haired, skinny hippie, and I was into the drug culture, and that's what I had known for a number of years. And when God saved me, he saved me out of it. He saved me. I mean, I got really saved. I got really, really saved. You know you're saved when you tell people, I'm really saved. Amen? I was really saved. I mean, I got touched. And, And yet, even though I was saved, I was still surrounded by old friends, old haunts, old places of sin. And so God not only brought me out of my own sin, but he also gave me a wonderful home church. He gave me a place of safety. He brought me out of one context and put me into another context. And that's the way God works. When God saves you, he saves you out so he can bring you in. When he delivers you from sin, he brings you out of it so he can bring you also into a place of safety. He doesn't leave you standing there not knowing what to do. He said, now I've taken you from here so I can take you over here. And God gave me a wonderful home church where I was discipled and taught and and it's where I discovered my calling. And I saw that that's the way that God does it. God carries us out so he can carry us in. See, you're not in turning point by a mistake. But God was dealing with you before you ever knew a turning point existed. He was dealing with you. He carried you and convicted you, brought you to the foot of the cross. You got saved, gave your heart to Jesus. The Holy Ghost came to live inside of you. But then God said, now let's take the next step. I have brought you out of your sinful context so I can bring you into a righteous context and into a righteous place of safety. Amen. Where we are strengthened and helped. Now, here's the message that, that, that I want us to get out of this last part of verse 10. God gives us an open road, but we've got to travel it. 
God will make a way, but we've got to cooperate with him and get in the way and follow the road he's given us so that he can carry us into a place of safety and strength and nurturing and wholeness and usefulness. God makes a way out, but we've got to cooperate with him and walk with him as he carries us in. Amen? And this can work in so many different ways. You know, all these doors, you look at these doors, they say exit, don't they? There's an exit door. Now, here I am, I'm in a place where I'm being tempted to sin. And God says, here's the exit door. You see it? Flash, flash, flash. You can't miss that green light. I can see it. I can say, yep, there's an exit door. But it doesn't do me any good if I don't walk through it. You can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink. And when God opens up an exit door, whatever the temptation is, temptation to idolatry, making something else God other than God in our life, lust, uh, a wrong relationship, a wrong habit. And God says, I'm giving you the power and the grace to be freed. I, I am, I am not going to allow this to tempt you beyond what you're able to endure. There's the exit door. But then we have to say, I'm going to cooperate with the grace of God and I'm going to get up and I'm going to run through that door and I'm going to go to the other side and I'm going to let God carry me to a place of safety. I'm not going to sit here and look at it. It doesn't do me any good to look at the door and not walk through it. That door is useless to me if I don't walk through it. It just looks kind of pretty if I don't walk through it. A door is made for one thing, to go through it. And God said, I'm going to make a way of escape. So that you can bear it. There it is. You see the exit sign shining. It might be a sudden sense of strength uh, and grace in your heart. A, a sense that I can get out of this thing. I can run. But then you've got to take that strength that God gives you at that moment and run. You know, I've learned, respond to the grace of God quickly. Respond to the strength of God quickly. Because if you sit there and, and look at it, but don't take advantage of it, it has a way of lifting. When God gives strength, when he gives grace, we're to take it and yield to it and cooperate with it and run with it and go through the door to the other side to a place of safety. How many Christians have been in the middle of a temptation and God opened an exit door and they didn't take it? Oh yeah, I see it. There it is. Oh yeah, that's, that's an exit door. Yep, that's an exit door. That sure is an exit door. But I am not going to take it. And they fall into sin. No, I tell you that in the presence of every temptation to sin, there will be a moment, somehow, some way, where God will open a door of escape. And he will say, take it, run through it. Walk through it, open that door, take advantage of it, cooperate with the grace of God. And if we do, we will be saved from a fall. He wrote these things so that we would not do what they did and fall into what they fell in. But for us to have victory, we've got to take the door. Amen. Say with me, take the door. How many of you understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? And you know what? It's not just talking about temptation as something sinful, something fleshly. But it's also talking about when you're in a trial or a test that is taking you to the place where you feel like, I just can't take anymore. 
I can't take anymore. I, I need relief. I need God to help me. I need God to strengthen me. I need God to show up. I need an answer. I need God to speak to me. I need God to do something because it, it's not a temptation to something fleshly and sinful, but what I'm in is a trial of my faith that is taxing me to the limit. And, and I don't know how much more of this I can take. And Paul says he also gives a way of escape for that. And we say, well, what is the way of escape if I'm in a trial that is taxing me and testing me and I see no way out and and, and it's more than I can take? The way of escape, listen to me, is the peace that passes understanding. When God doesn't take us out of a trial, he gives us victory in the trial. He makes a way of escape, not circumstantially, but he makes a way of escape internally. By the peace that passes understanding. The way of escape is God's peace. And he replaces, he puts peace in the place of worries, stress, fear, and anxiety. Listen, I escape every single day. I escape. I go through a way of escape every day. Say, Jeff, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. I wake up and there's all kinds of things I could worry about. I could be afraid of. I could be thinking about COVID, thinking about our church being hit so hard. I could be thinking about financial things. I could be worrying about this, that, or the other. And, and, and it could become more than I can bear. But I've learned every day to take the way of escape because you know what? God gives me an exit door out of those emotions every day. And you know what the exit door is? The, the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. See, I escape from worry and fear and anxiety and angst and stress every day by opening up the mighty, powerful word of God. And as I read the mighty, powerful word of God, it is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intents of my heart. It strengthens me. It encourages me. It picks me up. It gives me peace. And as I get into the word of God and pray, I escape the thieves of worry and fear and stress and angst and anxiety. He will give you, he will open a way of escape that you may be able to bear it, but it might not be out here. It might be in here is where the door is that he opens. Amen. Paul said this, you want to escape? You want a way of escape? How many of you don't want to walk in worry and don't want to walk in fear and don't want to walk in lust and don't want to walk in anxiety? None of those things. How many of you feel that way? Come on. All right, that you're either going to be subject to them and tormented by them, or you're going to take the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The way of escape is right here. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, everybody say if, if, if you don't, this isn't real, but if you do this, you will experience God's peace which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and keep your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Everybody say the way of escape. The way of escape. You know, I look at our uh, nation, I look at our country, 
It's filled with rage, anger, fury, division, violence, fear. You name it. Our nation is anything but quiet and at rest. But see, they don't know who I know. And I wish they did know who I know. And I'm going to do everything I can to introduce many of them to who I know. But I have found out that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when I'm going through a trial, if it's a temptation to sin, he opens up a door for me to run through. And if I take advantage of the door, he opens up for me and run through it. I am kept safe. But when it's inner stuff, worry, the torment of fear, fear has torment, the Bible says. It's fear, worry, anger, rage, bitterness, unforgiveness, all these negative emotions that can rock your world and ruin your life. If I take the way of escape every day, the way of escape, don't worry about anything, but come to God and in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, tell him what you need. And the peace of God will act like a guard over your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. And while the world is in raging turmoil, you, my friend, We'll be walking in the profound peace that passes all understanding because you took the way of escape. You took the way of escape. I take it every day. I'm an escape artist, let me tell you. I do it every day. You say, well, how long should I be with God until you have peace? How long should I spend with God in the morning? Long enough. Don't get up from your time with God until you've got peace. And then, friends, Let the world rage. You have peace. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, tried, or pressured, or stressed beyond what you're able. But he'll make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Can we stand up together today? Amen, amen. How many of you have been taking advantage of the way of escape during this COVID thing. Amen. Well, I talked to some people on the phone and I've got to pray again when I hang up from them. Because if you don't want to worry about it, they'll worry about it for you. And, and full of fear and full of doubt, full of anxiety. And I say, you know what? Uh, no, thank you. I have peace in the middle of the storm. I have peace that you can't explain intellectually. I have peace no matter what my context is. I have the peace of God. Amen? So can I encourage you, church? First of all, don't walk in fear. Walk in peace. Those of you that are home, don't walk in fear. Don't walk in worry. Don't let the devil, don't let the devil ruin your day with worry, fear, anxiety, stress, tension, anger, rage. Don't give him your emotions. Take take the way of escape. Go to God in prayer and let him give you that peace that nobody can explain. You don't have to take something, smoke something, drink something, shoot something, snort something. It's free. It's God's peace. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Now I want you to pray with me and say, Lord, help me. And I'm praying it right there with you. Help me to not allow negative emotions that ruin my day and rob my joy succeed. 
help me to take the way of escape and go into prayer and into the promises and receive your peace and take that way out of what is destroying this world. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And if you're in a place of temptation to fleshly sin, please, please hear me. Look around you. There's an exit door. It's flashing exit. God is saying, this is the way out. And the minute you see it, uh, the minute you see it, you get up and you run. You run through that door. You take advantage of God's way of escape because it won't be there forever. Take his escape. Amen. Father, I thank you for your blessing on the house of God today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let's sing a chorus, Carlito, before we go. Lift your hands to the Lord. Let's sing together. Yes, Yeah.